0: All right. Well, it is good to be here an hour earlier for some of you. I noticed uh, maybe for most of you, though, it's probably the same time, just different time change reality because there's a little few more people here in the eleven than maybe I'm used to seeing. So you have to pay the piper tomorrow, folks. Sorry. It's still, it's still coming. It's still coming. Well, hey, if you're new with us, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here. And I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, you should see one in the pew rack in front of you that you can use. Um, And in the East Auditorium, there's some folks walking around with some Bibles to use. And in either case, if you don't own a Bible of your own, um, we would love for you to take this one. Not this one, I need it to preach, but the one that looks just like it that you have home with you as a gift so that you have a Bible of your own. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, and depending on where you're at in the room, I can tell the fragrance is starting to fade a little bit, um, and maybe in the East Auditorium as well, but did you catch a whiff of freshly baking bread when you walked in? Show of hands, we least got a whiff of it three of you. We'll have to work on our bread making skills. So I know nothing about making bread and I thought a couple of these little bread making machines, which will beep to let you know the bread is ready many times, be not alarmed, it'll be okay, um, is kind of serving as a a, a fifth sense, if you will, to illustrate what Jesus wants to teach us in the book of Mark chapter 8 as he uses the illustration of bread uh, in his teaching, which we all know, the smell of fresh baked bread, probably one of the greatest smells on the planet, unless you only get to smell it and don't get to eat it. Then it's pure torture, as we know. And so, all right, so we've been in this series called Misunderstood, Jesus According to Mark, where the author is repeatedly showing us interactions with Jesus and people where the people misunderstand what Jesus is teaching, why he came, what he's up to. And Mark, the author, uses those encounters to reveal a true understanding of the real Jesus and what he's about for us as the readers later. So that's what we've been looking at. And to come alongside you as the church uh, in this, um, you could say, season of this book of Mark, we're we're in the season uh, leading up to Easter. And depending on your tradition, uh, sometimes they call that Lent, uh, which is uh, pretty much just Throughout the history of the church, a season where we give extra energy, attention and focus to our walk with Jesus uh, so that it'll impact all of the years of our life. And so to come alongside you, we've been preaching through uh, the life and ministry of Jesus and Mark. We also in our grow-together small groups have been looking at content to take a deeper dive. We've also provided these audio devotions uh, which hopefully you've been able to take advantage of. it's I don't know if you've, I've never done anything like this when it comes to you know taking in the Word of God. And so if you haven't got the opportunity through worship. And, and God's word and kind of some reflection to do that, I would really encourage you to jump on. You can still get caught up. There's just one a week, and so you could do them here leading up to Easter. Easiest way is to text First Decatur to 24587, uh, or you can always go to firstdecatur.org slash misunderstood and find the, uh, the audio devotions and the weekly readings there, okay? And so as we continue our focus and our attention on our walk with Jesus, as Jesus teaches us in the word, we're going to look today specifically, again, at the story about really an illustration more so about bread and the misunderstanding that takes place about it so that we can then understand who Jesus is and follow him uh, more closely. And so what we're going to see here are three takeaways. Two are going to be within the context of our sermon, if you will. And then the last takeaway really is um, understood in the celebration of communion, So two takeaways in the sermon and one in communion. Uh, so let's get to work. Mark chapter eight, you got your Bibles? All right, giddy up, here we go. Starts off this way in verse 11 of Mark eight, this encounter. It says that the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given it. And actually in the book of Matthew, there's the same account of the story and it goes on to say, no sign will be given and Jesus goes on, except the sign of Jonah. No sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. We'll look at what that means here in just a second. Uh, But essentially what we have is the religious leaders approaching Jesus, looking for a sign and you can kind of already, catch their motive, it says to test him, uh, and that they are looking for, you could say a miracle to point to, okay, if you really are the Messiah, give us a sign, give us the sign that we want to prove that. And you see, the problem with that question is, Jesus understands the motive behind their question and that really that you could say the, the question they're asking isn't actually the answer that Jesus is giving, nor really the one that they're looking for. Uh, you could say that the, their request for a sign uh, in this way was a sign in and of itself that they misunderstood why Jesus had come and what he was up to. And that really, you see here in Mark chapter eight, this is halfway through the book of Mark. And so we've got eight chapters through, eight chapters to go. And up until this point, frankly, he's already done a bunch of signs. He's done a bunch of miracles and a lot to point to the fact that he was the son of God, the Messiah. And so, and, and you know what? He will do more signs. And so to the question of the Pharisees, you know, another sign. You know, Jesus, I guess, could have done a sign, a miracle for them. But why doesn't Jesus comply Well, the reason he doesn't is because of the motive of their question and that he had been providing, you could say, redemptive miracles. Jesus had been pointing to, you know, the forgiveness of sin. He's been healing people and he's been teaching about God's grace uh, and God's care for all people, not just a select group of people, which would have been the Jews at that time. Uh, But the Pharisees, they wanted a sign on their terms they wanted a sign. They wanted a miracle that would reflect, frankly, rewarding their external religiosity that they had put on display. They wanted a sign, a miracle that would put them and their people group on the, uh, back on the, um, you could say the world power board, you know, as as a leader, as it once was with King David. And so they wanted a a political king. They wanted a a military king, Messiah, who would come and overthrow uh, the Roman government of that time. That was the kind of sign that they were looking for but jesus reveals they misunderstood the kind of kingdom he had come to build because it was about grace and healing and forgiveness and the only sign that they were going to get was really the only sign they would ever need and that is the sign of jonah the sign of jonah now what that is um, really was a foreshadowing of what we're going to celebrate on easter you're familiar with the story of Jonah, uh, or if you're not, I should say, uh, essentially it's a story of a prophet who ends up in the belly of a fish for three days, then on the third day is released from that. And so illustratively and prophetically, Jesus is saying, that's the sign that you're going to know that I've come. It's a sign they weren't expecting, but his sign was he was going to be buried. He died, be buried for three days, and then on the third day, be released from death, overcome death through the resurrection. And so this would be You could say the ultimate sign that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God. Okay? And so Jesus, more or less, dismisses the uh, Pharisees' misunderstanding at that point, and he moves on, it says in verse 13. And so he left them, and he got back into the boat, and he crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. And watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Jesus' is teaching here is to watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And what we see here, as well as in many other places, Jesus is using the illustration of yeast, uh, or maybe it's sometimes translated leaven, as it relates to bread making as a principle for us to better understand what it looks like to follow him. Namely, in avoiding something that would be negative for us in following him. He says, avoid the yeast or the influence of the Pharisees, which as we point out, they, have, they were really the wayward religious leaders of the day. And also avoid the yeast of Herod. And Herod would have represented just the secular culture around them. So beware of the wayward religious leaders and the culture around you. And that's what he's using yeast to illustrate, this, this beware, this uh, be careful. Um, and to understand, really, what Jesus is getting at, kind of spiritually, illustratively, uh, it's helpful to understand, first, I found as I was studying this, to understand you could say actually, physically how yeast and bread work, not as an illustration, but in the real world. And I'll just confess, I have like zero understanding of how yeast plays into bread making. In fact, they were making fun of me last night. I had this like dough on the table and I was putting yeast in it. And I was like, and they're like, that's not how it works. And I'm like, fine, forget the dough then. Um, I'll just bring my yeast for you. just, and I like, you open the yeast and the whole packet, like that's all of it. Like it doesn't, take very much. And so um, I don't know how yeast and bread work, so I do what you do, and I Googled it for you, and so googling it as one does. Here's the chemistry of yeast as it relates to bread making. I guess actually this stuff is like a living single celled organism that once it gets worked into the dough, it, um, it I guess it eats or digests or metabolizes the sugar that's in the dough, and as a result, then releases alcohol and carbon dioxide. That this gas that actually causes the bread to expand to rise, and while much like me, I'm sure, uh, the, uh, the people of Jesus' time, the hearers, wouldn't have understood all the science behind how yeast and bread making works. They would have understood the dynamic. They would have understood what physically takes place with yeast as it interacts with dough to make bread. And so knowing that the hearers would know this, Jesus is using this illustratively to point out first for us that just a small amount of yeast has the power to infiltrate the whole loaf. We understand that, they would have understand that, that just a small amount of yeast has the power to infiltrate the entire loaf of bread. And so that's the spiritual principle, that's the teaching Jesus wants us to get. He wants us to understand that when it comes to, you could say, the negative influences that might come from wayward religious leaders or from the culture itself, that it could just take a small amount that will infiltrate The whole. And that is the case when it comes to the reality of temptation um, or sin in our lives, that just a small amount can so quickly infiltrate the whole. As I was thinking about how that might apply to us in our day, um, I couldn't help but think about just the media that we take in through the gates of our eyes and our ears just constantly, and just the kind of stuff that, you know, feels like, you know, just a little bit can infiltrate the whole. I think about. I mean, I've heard this. I can't tell you how many times so I've had friends say, "Hey, you, you've got to watch this movie, or you've you got to check out this series on Netflix. It's it's odd, you know, yeah, yeah. There's some scenes it's like it's a little questionable, not really something, but but you got to watch it because it's so good. Or you know, maybe there's a stand-up comic. Oh man, you like funny stuff, Ryan. You would love this comic. He's so funny. You gotta you gotta listen to this guy. He's, I mean, he can be a little vulgar at times, but so good, so funny. You'll laugh so much. It's just like okay. And, and then I think about just. <laughs> You know, just even like going to a news site anymore. You can't even go on a news site without all kinds of junk popping up that, frankly, I don't need to be seeing. And so it's everywhere. And we recognize that just a small amount can infiltrate the whole. And I'm not trying to say I've got the line on where this is at all figured out. But I will tell you this. I aim to let God's word be my guiding principle on what I take in into my eyes and into my ears and into my life. Uh, Specifically... Uh, Philippians 4, 8. Uh, it's at the conclusion of a letter from the Apostle Paul to this church at Philippi where he's you know kind of giving them encouragement about what it means to follow Jesus. And he wraps up with almost this like, oh yeah, and don't forget, this is really important. He says it this way. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, don't forget, whatever is true Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, well then think about such things. Give your thoughts, give your energy to these kinds of things. This past couple of days, Friday and Saturday, uh, I was with a group that went up to Bloomington of fourth through sixth graders. Uh, it's a, an event called Super Start that we go to every year, and the idea is you're kind of super starting our kids, you know, to follow Jesus, not only as kids, but all the days of their life. And the theme this year was all wrapped up in, like, video games, because kids love video games. And so I've got my, my participation lanyard here, and it's kind of cool what they do. They have their video game theme, and, you know, like, you take your notes on uh, this little Instagram. And so the theme for this particular year uh, with the whole video game thing was uh, power up. You can't see that, but I promise it says power up. And uh, you might see some kids walking around today with their power up t-shirts on. And the idea is, um, for those of you like who understand like a video game, um, a power up is like, you know, kind of a next level ability. Like, like for Mario, for example, you know, he starts off this little tiny guy, and then all of a sudden he gets this mushroom, and all of a sudden he gets big, and he can now break bricks. When he couldn't break bricks, he can run a little faster, jump a little farther. It's a, it's a power-up. And so illustratively, there he's saying um, from Luke chapter 11 that, uh, I've got to find the verse here, that the, the verse that we filled in, our takeaway was that when we hear and keep God's word inside and then our blank was this, it gives me the power to choose what is wise. Then we have God's word in our life and in our hearts, what's good, admirable, trustworthy, when we have this stuff in our lives, it gives us the wisdom, it gives us the opportunity, the power to choose what is wise. I mean, that's what we want for our kids, right? We want them to have God's word to give them the power, the power up to choose what is wise, not just as kids, but so that when they become adults, they continue to do that. And so certainly don't we as the adults in their lives want to be paving the way in our own choices and choosing what is wise. And so the way this played out for me very recently, very practically um, is, uh, so for me, if I'm going to like work out or exercise or something, it's gonna have to happen first thing in the morning. If I say, I'm gonna do this later, it's just, I don't as well just say, I'm gonna lie to myself because it's not gonna happen. It's gotta happen first thing in the morning and the place that that takes place is in my basement. And so recently as I was kind of starting this new little workout plan, um, I came across uh, a bunch of old CDs from junior high and high school that I had. Like I've got like binders full of these things and if you're under 20 today, uh, That is something that uh, we used to use to listen to music in the 1900s, okay? And so, so kids, if you find like these semi-metallic frisbees around the house, they're not coasters. They are your parents. Give them back. We need them. Um, And so, so I've been, I've been going, and I have, I have tons of CDs because another rabbit trail, but some of you might remember, do you remember those, um, was like CD music subscription clubs, like Columbia House, BMG. Yeah. So if, if some of you are nodding vigorously, because you knew if you signed up or signed a friend up, you got, like had to pay for one CD and you got like 27 CDs free. And if you signed up your friend, you got CDs. So I signed up like my whole family, but I was actually signing up myself, uh, getting myself the CDs. And then I ran out of family members. So I actually signed up my dog. They will send the dog CDs which is for me as well. My mother finally kind of caught on to this and uh, called the company and was like, you're being scammed by a 15-year-old. Take him off your list. And so that went my CD, um, you know, scammed. So anyway, so I've got all these CDs and I thought, okay, it'd be cool to kind of listen to this stuff again. So I start going to this. And you know how music is. It kind of takes you back. It's like, wow, this is crazy. And I'm starting to listen to some of this stuff. And as I'm listening to some of the songs and some of the lyrics, I'm like, whoa. Like, I listened to that, like, and not so much that I listened to, but I, like, I listened to that without even like wincing or blushing or thinking, you know, Brian, I'm not sure. And it's like, I, I started to realize Philippians 4.8 on the flip side was at play here. I mean, this stuff, you know, it's like, I'm hitting next track. I'm like, okay, that's, I got to take changing out the CDs. Because this stuff, it was not praiseworthy. It was not true. It was not pure. It's not right. And frankly, it's just not the stuff that I need to be thinking on, dwelling on, filling myself up with, because I know. I need to beware, because just a little bit of yeast, I know, can infiltrate the whole. And I need to beware of that. And so, you know, where the line is on these things, you know, I'm, I'm not a legalist. Uh, I'm not going to say this is it and this isn't, but I will say this. For me, when it comes to something that seems to be eh, maybe on the line, like, you know, that I, that I really want to partake in like I really want to listen to this music or I really want to watch this series or this movie or something like that, I found a very powerful question for me that might be helpful to you is I will say this to myself. I'll say, okay, Brian, is this really that important to you? Is this really that important? Do you have to have it? Do you have to watch it? Do you have to, is it really that important? Because really what it's asking is a bigger question. What, what is important to me? What do I really want to be about? What do I really want to get after in my life? It's a, really a great way to ask the question, you know, is it wise? And so maybe that's helpful for you as you think about what you're trying to get after in your life. Is this good? Is this notable? Is this praiseworthy? Is this excellent? And is it that important to you? Another way to illustrate this, um, thankfully, the bread makers didn't work. Um, because, uh, for those of you who maybe are like, you know, on like a low carb or no carb diet thing, you know, if you smell fresh baked bread, um, you pretty much want to come strangle me because again, fresh baked bread is great unless you don't get to eat it. And so I think about when our family, when we go to Jimmy John's, I don't know if you ever walked into a Jimmy John's and the smell of bread. And so my... My son, he thinks it's the most hilarious thing that when we walk into a Jimmy John's, he all, every time, walks up to the cashier and says, uh, thanks for the free smells. (laughs) Because they offer free smells. If you ever go to Jimmy, they always have this neon sign. If you've never seen it, it just says free smells. You see, the problem with that is they're not free. The smells are not free, they are actually evil ploys to throw you off your bread-free, carb-free plan for the day. And so I tried this whole like bread-free thing for like five minutes once, and (laughs) Pastor Robert, who's our pastor of chaplaincy over at DMH and Crossing, he's like, Brian, 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 okay, you gotta try an unwitch from Jimmy John's. And um, for those of you who don't know what an unwitch is, an unwitch is essentially the same things you get on a sandwich, turkey, lettuce, tomato, cheese, all that stuff in mayo, uh, but instead of wrapped up in a warm, good, you know, noble, you know, everything that is right, Philippians 4.8, loaf of fresh baked bread, it's in like a sliver of like iceberg lettuce, and so you get this iceberg lettuce thing, and it starts off, you know, um, looking like a sandwich. But for me, about halfway through, it looked like pig slop in my hands. So I was like, I, I don't really know how to handle this anymore. And so, um, I, 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 and what I found out, interestingly enough, they actually, I found out after the fact, that they provide instructions for how to eat an unwich on every table. So if you don't know how to do it, uh, there's this interplay between tearing paper and taking bites, and I'm just like, I'm sorry, but if I need instructions to eat my lunch, (laughs) unacceptable, unacceptable. So that was my experience first and last time with an unwitch because once I finished the unwitch, I realized I just spent $8 on a lettuce wrap and was still so hungry because (laughs) the fresh baked bread was still calling my name. So I have this like inner, and I admit, this is like a first world problem. This is not a real problem. But I'm like, okay, do I go get a real sandwich? And I'm like, what am I gonna do? And it was like the worst day of my life. Um, so here's, I'm going somewhere, I promise. <laughs> here's what I know about me and temptation. And I, you know, maybe taken advantage of Jimmy John's freaky fast delivery and they just delivered me an unwitch to the church or something like that. Then honestly, I think I would've eaten it and been fine. But the minute you walk into the smell of fresh baked bread and can't have it, that's when problems start to arise. And illustratively, honestly, that is exactly how temptation and sin work in our lives. It's exactly how it works, that it just takes a smell to get the whole train started. For example, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, her and I, or, or he and I, you know, we're just friends. You know, it's just a little smell, just a free smell. You know, on Facebook or at the office, we're, we're just friends. Said the person always who is in the midst of trying to untangle the mess that has been caused by either a physical or an emotional affair. Because it just takes a little bit of yeast to infiltrate the whole. Maybe for you, it's like someone wronged you or is an offense or, or hurt you. And, and you just say, you know what? I can deal with it. It's not a big deal. I'm not gonna let it be a big deal. And you just say in your own, you know, your own deal, I'm, I'm gonna get over it. You know, it's just a little smell, not the end of the world, but you recognize that offense, it starts to fester and it starts to feast on your soul. And instead of pursuing forgiveness, you go your own way and you start to have thoughts and even plans for revenge that that, 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 then even like, just you could say illustratively, start to rise up within you. Because it just takes a little bit of yeast to infiltrate the whole. In the book of James in scripture, um, we understand how this plays out. In fact, Pastor Wayne pointed to this last week, says that when we get these smells around us, when we are tempted, no one should say, "God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone." But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil, desire and enticed. Then, after the desire has conceived, just a little desire, just a little bit of yeast, you know, just a little free smell, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Because just a little bit of yeast has the power to infiltrate the whole of your life. And so we know this. We've seen this. We've lived this. And we recognize what Jesus is teaching, that first takeaway that it is just a little bit of the wrong thing can do a lot of wrong in our lives. And so the question then is, okay, how do we keep that away? How do we keep the yeast? How do we keep the little bit from infiltrating the whole of our lives? Well, another element of yeast that the people of Jesus' time would have understood is that what's taking place, even though they didn't understand necessarily the science behind it, they understood that what was taking place largely was an invisibility. It was, to the naked eye, you didn't really understand or see what was happening, that what the yeast was doing on the inside was invisibly affecting, as it released the carbon dioxide as we know, uh, affecting what is happening on the outside. And that's the second takeaway that Jesus would have wanted his hearers to understand. That it's what happens on the inside that affects and determines what's taking place on the outside. It's what happens on the invisible, inside, spiritual side of things that determine for us the external physical realities of our life. Jesus um, goes on with his teaching as we look again at uh, verse 14. Follow with me. So the disciples, says, had forgotten to bring bread, except for just one loaf that they had with them in the boat. To which Jesus then says, be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. To which Jesus is pointing to this specific point of the idea of focusing on the external versus the internal. Jesus pointed this out many times, this warning against being like the Pharisees, because they were experts at focusing on the outside. In one setting, Jesus painted this inside-outside thing this way, he said, you know, you Pharisees, you focus on the inside, or excuse me, you focus on the outside of the cup and dish, making sure everything looks good and clean. He says, "You're, you're hypocrites. First focus on the inside, and then the outside of the cup and dish will be clean also. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful, but on the inside, you're full of dead bones and hypocrisy. And so to drive it home, Jesus says it this way. He says, in the same way, on the outside you appeared to people as righteous, but actually on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so that second takeaway, that's what Jesus is warning his disciples. He's like, hey, disciples, those, you be careful. Stay on guard. Don't focus on the external at the expense of what's going on on the inside because what happens on the inside is going to determine in the right way what happens on the outside. And so with that, that's what Jesus is trying to communicate, but the disciples, they live out our series title and they misunderstand. Verse 16. It says they discussed with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. That's what he's saying. It's because we have no bread. And so Jesus, verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asks them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And what's the context of this is just like classic because what, when it comes to the physical side of things, um, grab your Bible, you still have your Bible or your phone or something can flip. So we're in like halfway through eight. Go to the beginning of chapter eight, verse one, okay? And if you have a Bible that's fancy enough to have those like little paragraph headings that tell you what the story's about before you even read the story, um, just to make sure we're still awake on this time change weekend in both rooms, read the header above chapter eight, verse one. What's that say? Jesus feeds the 4,000. Jesus feeds with a few loaves of bread, 4,000 men and women and children. Um, And so, okay, that happened like, right before this story, disciples, and then go back just again to a couple of pages to Matthew, excuse me, Mark, chapter 6, verse 30. And one more time, real loud, both rooms, what does it say on that paragraph header? Jesus feeds 5,000. I love group participation. It always sounds like zombies obeying. <laughs> Jesus feeds 5,000. Maybe next week when you all catch up on your sleep, you can get into it a little more. All right. So Jesus feeds 4,000, 5,000 with a few loaves. And so Jesus is like, well, how could you possibly miss that I'm not talking about and bread here? Uh, pick it up again, verse 17. After their discussion, Jesus asks them, why are you talking about this? Don't you understand? Are your hearts still hardened? Verse 18. Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, verse 19, when I broke five loaves for the 5,000? And then with this, I had leftovers. How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied, I'm sure like zombies because they felt bad. Verse 20, and when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven, they answered. You know, so it's like that, I did that all the time because I was a terrible student. I always felt like I was answering with my head bowed low. Okay, and so Jesus says, do you still not understand? You have misunderstood. And you know, it's easy to kind of point fingers at the disciples and kind of see how, how did they miss this? But I've got to turn this back on me. We've got to turn it back on us. And I, and I ask myself, okay, well, how many times have I missed? How many times have I missed what God wants to fully do, both in the spiritual and the physical, because I put all my energy and tension on the external physical? How, how many temptations and sin has, has God wanted to free me from that I missed out on because I focused merely on the external rather than what was happening on the inside. Jesus, um, at the beginning of Mark, is in a situation where he's tempted by sin. Mark chapter one, he's baptized, and then it says he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, where he's fasting. And so in his temptation with Satan, the first one that Satan tempts him with, he says, "Um, you know, if you're really the son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread for yourself to which Jesus responds um, to his physical temptation with the inside, the spiritual, by quoting God's word. The, you could say the wisdom of God's word to choose what is right. And he says this in Matthew chapter four, verse four, which is actually a quote back to Deuteronomy, God's word. It says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because... When it comes to over, overcoming sin in our lives, it is always spiritual before it's physical. It is always the internal that is gonna determine the external. It's always spiritual first because we don't live on bread alone. We don't live on the external. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so as we think about what maybe we're missing out on, from, I think about not just maybe the negative side of beating sin, but what about the positive things, the blessings that God wants to bestow on us? You know. You hear that? Bread's ready. I don't know if you heard in the East Autorium, bread's ready. Um, So yes, it, it helps in understanding to defeat sin, but also in overcoming, or I should say, taking advantage of the blessings. How often do we miss the spiritual and physical blessings that God has for us? Because we're focusing on the physical rather than the spiritual Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, um, he teaches us to not worry at all about the physical side of things. Don't focus on that. He says, you know, look at the birds of the air. They're not worried about what they're gonna eat. Look at the, you know, the grass of the field, the flowers. They're not worried about what they're gonna wear. You don't need to worry about these physical things. He says, uh, based on these illustrations in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after thee, but those who don't know God and his work in their lives, they run after all these things but your heavenly father knows already that you need them. And so here's a takeaway. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first the inside, the spiritual, the internal, and then all of these things will be given to you as well. All the physical side of things, the external side will then naturally play out because God is gonna keep his promise and take care of you in that way. You know, this understanding of the spiritual ahead of the physical, the internal ahead of the external. Really, it was um, the song we sang earlier that drove that home uh, for me, this um, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, really old song, actually probably one of my favorite sets of lyrics um, ever because it just p- puts it all in perspective. Um, one more time. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, focusing on the spiritual. And then, The things of this earth, the physical, will grow strangely dim. It will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace, because it's always the spiritual that determines the physical, the internal that determines the external, focusing on him. Everything else becomes dim and taken care of. And so we know that yeast a little bit can infiltrate the whole and that it's the inside that's working for the outside. And then the third takeaway that we see in this passage, it really takes place in communion. And so uh, in both rooms, if you're preparing communion, we would invite you and thank you for doing that, uh, preparing that for us. And uh, the reason I point out that it's a part of this passage is because I think for those of us who have maybe been around church for a while and done communion on a weekly basis, we, we're a little Pavlovian and we kind of like check out and think, oh, sermon's over, we're moving on. But I don't want you to miss what Jesus is revealing about what he did that we celebrate in communion as far as the takeaway that he has for us all today. That in the beginning part of this passage, we saw that... Um, um, the Pharisees were looking for a sign on their terms. Remember that they were looking for a political, military leader that was going to establish them as like the people to, you know, um, as, a, as, a, as like a, a, a world power again. And Jesus says, nope, that's not what my kingdom's about. My kingdom is actually about forgiveness and freedom from sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like that's what my kingdom is about. And the only sign that you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, he says to the Pharisees, which is, again, the sign that Jesus would die, be buried and rise again. So Jesus says, be careful, be careful not to focus on the yeast of the Pharisees where their sin, in that case, was demanding a sign on their terms. And so here's how this plays out for us. Here's here's my concern for some of you today, that for you, you might be blocked in your devotion to Jesus, you might be blocked in your faith development because you could be waiting on a sign on your terms. Maybe for you, it's a a situation where it's just gone really bad, and you're like, you know, God, if if you don't come through for me on this, then... I don't know what I'm going to, or, you know, it might, maybe it's an opportunity. It's like, you know, God, if you could just work this one thing out, if you could get this life, if you, and then maybe from there, not only um, do we have this idea that we want to sign on our terms, but then we start to maybe even bargain with God, like, God, if you would just take care of this, or God, if you would just, you know, give me this one thing, well, then I'll, and I was say, then you, then you'll do what? Then you'll obey, then you'll follow him, then you'll do what it is arguably you should have been doing all along anyway. The demand for our sign on our terms is a dangerous thing because we are reminded in communion that even though God shows up and gives us signs all the time, that even if he didn't, even if this was the only sign he ever gave us, John 3, 16, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him is given the gift of a new life, both here and for all of eternity, even if that was the only sign we ever had, well, then that would be enough. That would be enough. That is the sign, the sign that we are forgiven of sin, free from the penalty of it, and given the gift of a whole new life that he is in charge of, that he is leading us both here and forevermore. Because... In communion, we celebrate that he voluntarily gave himself to death. It says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so that sign of Jonah, that sign of his death and resurrection, we remember how that was made possible through his broken body, which we celebrate in the bread, and his shed blood, which we celebrate in the cup. And so you don't have to be a member here at First Christian Church to to participate. If uh, you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God who's forgiven your sin and leads your life, well then celebrate how that was made possible through the bread and the cup. And so let's pray together as we uh, prepare to thank him for that. Heavenly Father, we come in thankfulness. That even though we know the realities uh, and and are thankful for the teaching to avoid just a little bit of yeast that could do a whole lot of bad in our lives, uh, we give you thanks for the flip side of that principle. That just a a little bit of what is good and noteworthy and noble and and, and praiseworthy, that, that just a little bit of that can also have a, a positive effect in the same way that can grow and swell, that just a little bit of your church, a little bit of worship, a little bit of your word, just a little bit of uh, community together, uh, just a little bit of remembering how all this was made possible through your son's sacrifice has the power, as it's, you know, just like a mustard seed, has the power to grow and swell in a good way, all that you have for us. And so right now in this moment, we thank you for how that was made possible through the sacrifice, to the only sign that we'll ever need, the sign of your only son who gave his life, broken body, shed blood. We thank you as we take the cup and the bread together. It's in Jesus' name that we give thanks. Amen.